98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Burns and Gambo starts now. Now. Thursday afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome into today's edition of the Burns and Gambo Show here on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. We are live from the Auction Community Studios. My name is Dave Burns, alongside the one, the only, John Gambadoro. Hello, Gambo. Burnsy, what's going on? Is it John Gambadoro? Is it John uh, Gambaccino? Like, where does this stuff, where did they come up with this stuff? Well, you know where what? does that even come up from? They, the, the, the whip. You want whip? I'll give you a whip. Play the pre- can, you, can you find the promo? That's what it came from? Yeah, apparently during the big league, for those who don't know what we're talking about, because just not on Twitter all the time, shame on you, he says sarcastically. Uh, apparently this morning during the Bickley Murata show, they must have played our promo that we have running from you and I have the conversation about the whip. And as soon as Mitch finds it, he'll play yeah, it for me okay. here. You got it for me, Mitch? Play that bad boy here. Let's see. Burns and Gambo, afternoons, two till six. Whip, I'll give you a whip. I know you like walks and hits per innings pitch. What? Whip and good? I think you sound like a barista at Starbucks. You want whip? You want whip on that? You want whip on that? Yeah, I got a frappuccino right here. You want whip on that or yeah. not? Yeah, I know you like that whip. I know you like that whip. I'll give you some whip. You want some whip? I'm going to whip it. I'm going to whip it good. Let's go. Burns and Gambo. Uh, so apparently, I'm guessing that played okay. during their okay. show today. Right. And so suddenly it turned into one of their poll questions for uh, social studies. If what is a better name for a sitcom where Gambo works in a coffee shop? And your options were either, and I'm pulling it up right now, I want to make sure I get this right, John Gambarista or Beans and Gambo. And then I chimed in that I thought that John Gambaccino was better because oh, gotcha. it's kind of the Italian thing, right? I'd be that Beans guy. And Gambo is pretty I'd clever. be that guy when somebody orders a venti. I go, you want 20 what? You want 20 what? No, I want a venti. What, 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 you want 20 what? You want 20, 20 coffees? 20 what? ounces. 20 ounces? That's what a venti is. It's, it's 20 ounces? It's 20 ounces, Why don't yeah. they just say large? <laughs> Grande. You know what you need to watch, Gambo? Why not, what? There's an old Mad TV sketch called Mrs. Swan Orders Coffee from Starbucks or yeah. something of that ilk. I think you would enjoy that just based off of what you just said. A, ven- a venti's a large, a grande's a medium, a tall is venti's, a small. Venti's 20. Yeah, well, and, and actually, I believe it's 20 ounces. I think that's I I I think that is actually weird, numerically. Sir. Why can't they just say large or grande? Uh, well, grande's medium. Or small could be piccolo. Small is tall, and then they have short. If you want even smaller than a small, if you want a, a short. basso, they could call it basso. Well, they, they could short is basso, but they tall don't. Tall is alto. See this this would be the sitcom if Gambo worked in a coffee shop. It'd be I this still, all listen, day. I'll just say this before we get on. I still have no idea why they put ice in freaking coffee. <laughs> it makes no sense to me now. It made no sense to me then. Why would some Somebody get a coffee and then say, can you put ice in it? I don't get it. Is that what you got, Mitch? Mitch is holding up an iced coffee as we speak. Why don't you just get an iced tea? Like, coffee is hot. I I just, for the life of me, and nothing you can say will change my mind. I don't know why anybody would want to order a coffee and then take you throw a bunch of ice cubes in it, please. Let's give you our top story today on the Beans and Gambo Show. Uh, Burns and Gambo, the way in. You can... Vitalize weight loss. Hot tea, iced tea, hot coffee, iced coffee, however you want to have it. 
Phoenix Suns and the fallout and the ramifications of Robert Sarver's announcement yesterday that he was selling the Suns and the Mercury. Story today on ESPN.com about an all-employees call yesterday held just hours after Robert Sarver announced he'd be selling the Suns. Team president and CEO of the Suns, Jason Rowley, addressed questions from team staff about the organization's future. According to the story, it got at, at certain points, it got pointed and he got pointed questions from staff sure. about how things were going to go and the first question apparently centered on whether there would be punishment for current leaders of the organization whom some staff considered culpable in contributing to years of workplace misconduct. In other words, okay, Robert's gone, who else? Right. Who else? Who else enabled this? Yeah. Who else empowered this? Who else was responsible for this? I think one employee even said, and they didn't say it was, like, I feel empowered now to kind of take a blowtorch to all of these other people. Said one staffer who participated in the investigation, Ooh. quote, I'm relieved, I'm beyond happy, I'm empowered, and I'm motivated to continue to ensure that all of the men in that organization still in power who upheld this culture are rooted out. Wow. wow. Yeah, so... Listen, I would imagine that there's going to be a cleaning of the house the second a new owner takes over anyway, okay? I would imagine that many of the people there are going to be looking for new jobs once a new owner comes in and wants to surround himself with people that he knows and trusts and and things like that. So I would think that organically that's going to happen, but there isn't that is an interesting angle. Uh, the only thing the only thing that the report focused on was Robert Sarver. It did not focus on anybody else in that organization and their Behavior. It didn't name anybody specifically, but it did towards the tail end of the report suggest that there were certain corporate culture things going on in there. That without the, naming where, anybody. Without naming anybody. Right. Where the tone might have been set because of Robert, where other executives were sort of enabled. Again, it didn't name anybody. If I remember right, it didn't name anybody. But there was sort of this corporate culture there where a, lo- a few people, I don't want to say a lot, a few people sort of followed the lead of Robert when it came to treating certain employees and that culture was there. But again, didn't specifically name anybody. So what the timetable for something like that would be, a lot depends on the timetable of the sale. And, and of course, there I, I still have to think we're not done in terms of changes that yeah. might happen over there. And well, Jason Riley, out. Jason Riley, who's been with the Suns since 2007, said that the team would be looking into and that it would reach corrective action where appropriate. So I think what he's saying there is that we will, you know, we will look to address other issues that are still out there about this organization and when called for, we will correct those issues. All right. Uh, we'll keep everybody updated on what's going on there because obviously that is and continues to be a big story. From a basketball perspective, I think I can speak for quite a few in the fan base. A little bit of disappointment this yeah, morning to yeah. see that Boyan Bogdanovich got traded to the Detroit Pistons for what doesn't appear to be a real high price. No. Kelly Olnick and Sabin Lee. Doesn't sound like they were draft picks. It just sound no. like it was those two guys, and that's it. And, and we had talked the other day where I said, I'm, you know, I don't want to say it's definitely out, but what I'm hearing, it's unlikely the Suns are going to get him. We reported that the other day on our show. My connections uh, told me that the Suns were unlikely to get Bogdanovich. They were unwilling to give up the draft picks that were necessary. So it is a little bit of a surprise that, you know, that they they made this trade without the draft pick. 
Knicks. You know, without though, I mean, Kelly Olnick. Now, Kelly Olnick played in Boston, so I think Danny knows him very well. He's 31 years old. Um, so, I mean, I think that maybe they felt like we'll just get back a couple of capable bodies uh, in in the deal. And I think the other thing that the Jazz are looking to do in deals is a lot of these guys they're getting are guys that they feel are tradable assets. The guys that they brought back in the deals that they've made, so they, they feel are tradable a, assets. And a Linux somewhere around the deadline if yeah. they wanted to and get yeah. something else down the yes. future. And if the Suns... And, and, I mean, look, and even some of the bigger contracts as well, I think that they feel like those that those contracts are contracts that they can move. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they already moved the Pat Bev contract, right? I mean, they they, they did that flipping him to the Lakers. And right, maybe, but I'm talking about like a Laurie Markkinen. Yeah, th- those guys too, of yeah. course. Of course. Um, we all, I, I don't say we all, but I know a lot of people who follow this stuff. Man, when this news broke this morning, it, it was, to Kellen Olsen's point, that's it? I mean, that's, that, and, and to, to the point where it does make you wonder, and I, I, I think it was Gerald Bourget over at PHNX Sports who kind of said this sort of makes you question just how interested the Suns were actually in Boyan Bogdanovich. And I'm sure they were, but that seems like a very beatable offer, right? That feels like one, you if you wanted him badly enough, you could have gotten him and maybe they didn't want him so badly enough that, that they're trying to save their first round draft yeah. picks for something else I, or their tradable salaries for something else. I don't know. I think the Suns were willing to part with expiring contracts without giving up the draft picks. So I think that's what it really came down to was they'd be willing, you want Jay Crowder in campaign? Okay, great. We'll give you those two guys. I'm not giving you a first round pick. So the Suns were willing to get off of expiring contracts to get Bogdanovich. This is my understanding, but they didn't want to go as far as the draft picks were concerned. Um, it is interesting that they did that deal without the draft pick, that they decided to get some players back. Maybe they feel like getting these players back can lead to, yeah. again, every every move they're making, Larry Market and Beasley, they're getting guys that they feel are tradable assets. While all this was going on, Brian Windhorst was on Bickley and Murad, and he said, look, the truth of it is that James Jones can be judicious when it comes to whatever deals he makes. I'll let him explain. James Jones has a track record now, and his track record is that he is uh, deliberate when making transactions, yeah. he he's going to negotiate a certain way, and you know, uh, you know, I, I'm sh- I know that they had discussions with the Jazz about Bogdanovich, and I also know that they were reluctant to offer a first round pick in such a, a deal. And you know, Bogdanovich got traded today, and it wasn't for a first round pick. So, um, you know, I think that you know they have enough talent where they can be judicious, and that's the way James Jones operates. That is how James Jones yeah. operates. I, again, I think that part of James James's plan is to hold on to those draft picks and wait for that big blockbuster player. Knowing that Chris Paul is not long for the Phoenix Suns, knowing that they're going to have to add another big piece. And there's a lot, you go look at these free agent classes, not this year, but the next year. Not 23, but go look at 24. When Chris is, you know, off the books in 24, that's a big time free agent class. And I think he's trying to put himself in a position for a sign and trade type of deal that could be a blockbuster. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, the Cardinals and their NFC West nemesis this weekend, the Rams. And outside of one regular season game last year, this one has been about as one sided as they get. We'll talk about that coming up on the Burns and Gambo show. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Cambo. Three hundred and thirty-five. 
162. Yeah, not so good. Not so good. <laughs> Quick math. That is the uh, the Rams have outscored the Cardinals 335 to 162 under Sean McVay. There are um, six stats and facts to know about this NFC these West. Go. Let's, so, let's, let's these, go through them one by one. Let's have are, some fun with this. Yeah, these are good. I, one of them I don't think is particularly relevant, but, but the, the rest... Goals. Yeah. yeah. The, bring I it think, up anyway. Yeah, you know what? I'll bring it up anyway. Fact number one, the Rams have outscored the Cardinals 335 to 162 under Sean McVay. Okay, what, what is that? Do the math. What's 335 minus 162? You want me to do it while you talk? Sure. I got a calculator the, here on my phone. <laughs> well, you Your also phones have calculators. You have a phone right there. Yeah. Something you have a calculator. Since 2000, I would have needed Gina Ficara if I would have had a phone in high school. Well, yeah, because you could have just texted any of your buddies to help you well, answer the question. Not really that they would have known the answer anyway. Say, so, so that's 173. So the Cardinals have scored 162 points. They've been outscored by 173. That's double. They've been, been outscored by up. double. Yeah. They've been doubled up. The Rams are a near-perfect 10-1 and against Arizona. Their only loss coming in the first meeting last season. The Rams' wins, obviously, have all been by pretty wide margins. Their narrowest victory against Arizona was seven points back in 2019 and seven points in week 14 of last season. Otherwise, the Rams' eight other wins have all been by at least 10 points. Yeah, so just listen. Cardinals got a nice win last year. You kind of thought they got the monkey off the back, but now they've got a two-game losing streak because they lost to them the next time they played them, and then they lost to them in the playoffs. So this could be a three-game winning streak for the Rams. So right back to what it was. It Almost like it was an uh, anomaly. Is that the word? Anomaly? An, an anomaly. An, an anomaly. Not yeah. an anomaly. <laughs> an anomaly. Not an anemone. Not an yeah. Yeah. An, an, an anomaly that, the, anomaly, that yeah. they won that game. Almost like it was a fluke, if I use a word but that I can use. it wasn't. That's the thing. It wasn't. I mean, the only thing that was fluky about that day. Is Aaron Donald? That's it. That's it. Okay, but that's a pretty, that's big, a pretty thing. big thing. And, and I will admit, that's a pretty big thing. But that, I mean, did we come in here that Monday after that game and they thought, beat, oh, they that was, beat the, they beat the out hell out of, of L.A. They that day. They did. They humiliated. They embarrassed them. That game Pure was Pure domination. Over. It was 24-13 at the half. We said at the time, it's the best win of the Cliff era. That made them 4-0, and by the way. Yep. They were 4-0. and And they had been, like, their offense was just clicking. They had scored 38 points in the first game, 34 in the second, 31 in the third, 37. They were one of Two unbeaten teams, and and they would just dominate him. The, the Rams, the Rams had gone sixteen straight games not allowing thirty points, and the Cardinals put pasted thirty on them, thirty seven to be exact. Connor was good. Murphy was good. Chase Edmonds was great. Like the running game was fantastic. They had a gold, big goal line stand in that game. Right, I remember that. Big goal line stand. Alford made a stop on Stafford. Kennard make it made a tackle for no gain on Stafford. Then Tana Vallejo made that play on Higby on fourth down. I mean, it was just a. It was an. It was almost a picture perfect game for the Cardinals. Yeah, it was. And obviously, and what you just said a second ago is is true. Everything that's happened since then, I don't want to call it a fluke because it didn't feel like a fluke in a moment but certainly that that is the anomaly that is the you know the the the, the, not the it's the exception not the rule and the cardinals need to work to get back kind of what they gained that day number two uh this is the one i think doesn't have much relevance here cardinals are one of two teams with no field goal attempts this season that's more of an interesting factoid than it is that, that they'll they don't have a kicker <laughs> no, they have a kicker. They have a kicker. They just haven't kicker. needed them yet, right? I haven't now. needed that kicker. They have I, not kicked I, a field goal I, yet. I think after two games, I mean, you could use a stat like that and go, see, Cliff likes to go for it. He's being aggressive. He doesn't. I, I just don't think they've really had the opportunity to at this and plus point. Plus, you throw in the, the two point conversions that they've had. You know, that, they've well, only they, had two extra points. Which they had to have, right? Yes, I mean, yes. so, but I, yeah. Number three, Cardinals rank last 
in third down offense. Rams are fifth in third down offense. Okay, so the Cardinals have faced third down 25 times. They've only converted six of those third downs. Tied for the worst rate in the NFL with the Cowboys. The Rams are hitting on 52% of their third down. So in this game, one of the things you look for is the third down effectiveness. But the most important thing about third down, which everybody simply knows, is that you want to put yourself in good third down situations. And if you're constantly facing third and long, there's no threat to really run the ball. But if you can get yourself in third and two, three and four, at least you have the threat of a run. So we'll see how that plays out this week. I wonder where the Cardinals would rank. And this isn't in the story. So I'm just going to throw this out there because I don't know the answer to it. If you combine third and fourth down conversions where the Cardinals rank in the NFL because they've had to go for it on fourth down last week against the Rick. Kind of like your two point conversion thing with the field goal. They failed last week on a fourth down. They did, but they they converted... I and mean, they converted a fourth and goal. They converted a fourth down when Kyler ran it out of bounds. I think they I th- failed against Kansas City a couple of times. I'll fourth, go back and look yeah, on I just, fourth I, down. I don't, I, there's no way I can find that stat out you know, while we're doing the show, but I, I am curious I, if you combine third down efficiency with fourth down efficiency, are the Cardinals at least a little bit better? Number four, okay. uh, the Rams and the Cardinals are the NFL's worst third down defenses. They're both giving up the highest third down percentage or among the highest third down percentage. Opponents for the Rams, their opponents are converting 60% of the time on third down. The Cardinals' third down defense is allowing conversions 58% of the time. Second worst in the NFL. Six for nine on fourth downs. Cardinals are? Yeah. Six of 25 on third down. Six of nine on fourth down. Almost better on fourth down. I mean, a lot better on fourth down. Their their fourth down percentage is 67%. Their third down percentage is 24%. Yeah. That's a big difference. I wonder what the combined, you know, third and fourth downs are. Uh, 12 for 34. Well, well no, I know that. Where it ranks, I guess, is what I meant. Where I, that would rank. I, 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 I told you you weren't going to find that out. I, I said I, there's I, no I, way you can know this right now. I said that. Nine, six know? for nine's got to be amongst the league leaders. Congrats. You can look up a stat. Good for But I, oh, I need the other stat. That's man. the stat I need. Anyway, if it's coming down to third downs, uh, the Cardinals, the, that would seem to be a big mismatch, right? Because, I mean, sure. the Cardinals aren't very good at converting third downs, but the Rams aren't really good at stopping it. The The problem goes the other way, where the Cardinals are, where the Rams are really good at converting on third downs, and the Cardinals have not been really good at stopping it. That's really something to keep an eye on in sure, this game. Sure, that's yeah. a big stat in this game for sure. Cardinals are the only team to hold Cooper Cup under 92 yards since 2021. <laughs> I think that stat is funny. I think that's, but you know, I'm laughing at it because, and we'll play some of the sound for you a little later, Byron Murphy was talking the talk of a number one corner today at Cardinals practice was kind of talking the talk of a guy who's like, I want that responsibility. He's, he's emboldened by what he did last week, right? Against Devontae Adams. Let's see how Byron Murphy does this week against Cooper cup, because the Cardinals are in a way, one of the teams to have at least some kind of success against Cooper cup. They are the only team to hold them under 92 yards. You know what Cooper cup did against the uh, Cardinals in the final regular, in the regular season game last year, the second game. Big day, 13 right? catches on 15 targets. Yeah. He had 13 catches. He had 123 yards and a touchdown. So it wasn't, you know, a lot of yards per play, but he still had 13 catches on 15 targets in that game. 
Number six, the Cardinals have allowed the most points in the NFL. This one I actually knew. No team has given up more points in two weeks than the Cardinals. Granted, they had to face the Chiefs and the Raiders with explosive offenses, but Arizona's defense has not looked very good through two weeks. It's hard to judge this because they did look really good in the second half against the Raiders. Three and out, three and out, five and out, fumble, recovery. Like, they were great. Like, they were great. I mean, they almost had an interception. They forced two fumbles. They had two three and outs. They had a five and out. Like, their defense was fantastic in the second half. Now, a lot of people will point to the preseason and that they didn't really play. And even Vance, after the first game, we haven't really played with each other. We don't really know each other. Well, now, after about six quarters of play, you go into that second half. You're like, okay, we feel a lot lot better. We've played with each other. We know each other. And so I think you you saw a little bit more of what I hope that the Cardinals will be in the second half of that Raider game. We've got the Burns and Gambo Show podcast. You could subscribe right now on your iPhone or your Android. It's just like every other podcast you love to listen to. You'll never miss any of our show. The Burns and Gambo Show podcast brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. He is the interim head coach of ASU football. He is set to make his debut on Saturday, and he's already hot on the recruiting trail. He's Sean Aguanu, and he joins us next on the Burns and Gambo Show. The Burns and Gambo Need to Know Twitter Poll, presented by Sanderson Ford. We'll be hearing from the new ASU head football coach, the interim head football coach, Sean Aguano, in just a moment. But we do have time to sneak in our Twitter poll question of the day. And for that, we turn it over to Eric Ruby back after his one day off yesterday. Nothing happened yesterday, by the way. Yeah, no, it was a really easy, smooth day to me. Very quiet day around the office when the owner decides to sell the local NBA franchise. But whatever. Just kidding. Um... Speaking of the NBA team, Bernsey, of the NBA speaking team. of the Phoenix Suns, they do have some basketball players on that team, and yeah. we can talk a little basketball. ESPN dropped their yearly rankings when they go in the offseason and rank all these NBA players, and Devin Booker, well, he made the top 10, but he was ranked 10th. So the question today, is that his ceiling? Is the 10th best player in the league the top of the top for Booker? You've got four options. Option number one is that he's hit his ceiling. Option number two, you think he can make it to that top seven. Not just fluctuate a spot or two, but move up to top seven. Option number two is he could be a top five player in the league. And option number four is that he could be a top three player in the NBA. I'll go top five. I think top, I'll go top five. I think top five, too. I mean, I, I, I think what's What's going to happen is some of the guys in front of him are eventually going to retire or their skills are going to decline and he could move up that way. But then he could also get passed by somebody behind him, you know, some younger player who might just shoot right past him on the list. But I I think he could be a top five player in this league, yes. What's our audience say? Our audience? Well, they agree with you guys. It's a close one, though. But leading the way, 41.8% say that Booker can be top five in second place at 36.3%. They're saying top seven, and it's a close one between the last two, but edging out for third is that he's already at his ceiling at 11%, and 10% of people believe that he could be top three in the NBA. You can find that Twitter poll question for you over on our Twitter account, at Burns and Gambo. We got Twitter poll questions for you every single day. Alright, that is the Twitter poll question of the day. You can find it on the Burns and Gambo Twitter page. We are working on getting Sean Aguano on the coach 
right now, or on the uh, line right now, I should say. And when we get him, we'll go to him. But in the meantime, let's talk about that Diamondbacks game last night because the Diamondbacks now tonight have a chance to do something, Gambo, that they haven't done in a while, quite a while. 2018, I believe, was the last time they had a chance to win a series in Dodger Stadium. It's a rare five-game series, so that's kind of unusual in that regard. But with a win tonight, they will have won the series three games to two, the first series they have won in Dodger Stadium since 2018. Yeah, how about that? Is there any significance that you attach to that going into tonight's game? You want to not have... No, I mean, I think think the, the last two wins are good because you've been getting your ass beat by the Dodgers by a long time, and you want to get, you want to have these young players believe that, you know what, you're not so bad, we could beat you. You know, and I think that for a long time, the Dodgers have really had uh, the Diamondbacks numbers, so to get the win yesterday, to get it the day before with good pitching, I think the big sign, more than anything yesterday, was Madison Bumgarner throwing a good game, because, look, this guy's not going anywhere, they gotta pay him a lot of money over the next couple of years, nobody's trading for him, unless you eat, like, all of the money, so, and I wouldn't count him as one of your top three pitches next year, but you got to throw him every fifth day as at least a fourth starter. So I think that that was a good sign that, you know, that he went out there and he pitched a good baseball game for them. Yeah, he did pitch a very good game for him last night. They played a really fun, aggressive style of baseball last night. It was a lot of fun to watch. Corbin Carroll, who was named the USA Today Minor League Player of the Year for the season that he's had in the minors, uh, had a big nights with a bases loaded, bases clearing double. Uh, big nights from... Uh, you had Jake McCarthy scoring on a sack fly. Uh, you had stolen bases. McCarthy and Varsho were very aggressive. Actually, Christian Walker was good. Yeah. I actually rewound the Christian Walker stolen base to show my kid because he gets such a great jump. You know, and the catcher's got a fight. It was such a great pitch right down the middle, and the catcher threw it like to the to the uh, the shortstop side of the bag. It wasn't even close. But his, his jump is unreal. Like, I... I say, if he played every day, man, he's he's a he's a guy that could break a franchise record for stolen bases, because he he's just so fast and he gets such a great jump. And we look, we you know we we went over that play like three or four times. Me and my son last night is let's just look at this. I mean, look the second that foot comes up a little bit, he's gone. Like he and he doesn't look back at the catcher. He's not looking to see like Varsho and other guys will look at the catcher to see what he just goes like head down. I'm going right to the bag. So that's uh, it was just it's fun to watch him steal bases. I liked what Dan said this morning about this this morning on the Bickley Murata show. What Bick had to say about it, he he kind of and I'm assuming he said this at the beginning of the Dodgers series that he kind of wanted the Diamondbacks to treat this series like a little mini playoff series, like a best of five, try to win this series, like like you know rather because the season's lost. Obviously, it's got a couple like weeks that. left and yeah. it's over. And I don't know. We we had Tori on yesterday. We did and ask Tori if that was their approach. Of course, their approach is to win every single series. But I like how Bick phrased it was that their goal should have been, let's treat this like our own little personal best of five series against the best team in baseball and see how we do, see how we hold up. Now, it got off to a terrible start. And that lead that they blew the other day was the kind of stuff that the the fact that they had to play a game after that. The doubleheader. Yeah, that game that night that they were able to kind of refocus and rechannel and play and win. In, I think speaks to a lot to their ability to kind of forget what had happened earlier in the day. They got Zach Gallen going tonight. 
They've got a chance to win the series with a victory tonight, albeit it's a very tough matchup. But if you they feel can, like you could win every game that Zach Allen pitches, though, when he's on do. the mound, you feel like you're going to win. You do. Yeah. And when you're rolling out an offense that's aggressive like that, that's stealing bases like that, that's that's tagging up aggressively the way they are, that, that's, look, that's how they're going to win these games. That's how they're going to win these games in the future, right? That's how they're built. And when the rule changes come next year, yeah, I mean, look, I think a team that's got the speed that the Diamondbacks have, that these rule changes that are being put in place really benefit a team like that in a moment like that. Oh, yeah, that. when you're playing, the, they play the shift against Corbin Carroll. and the, But I'm telling you, Expect a significant jump in the in the money they spend on this team next season. A significant jump. They will support this team a lot more financially next year. You will see this payroll go up by, you know, I'm going to assume twenty million bucks. Rough estimate, give or take, but they will spend more money on this team. They've got a, they got a, they got question marks right now. What are they going to do at catcher? What are they going to do at third base? What are they going to do at shortstop? What are they going to do in the bullpen? Now, I don't want them to go out there and spend uh, a lot of money. I don't want them to go get a Chris Bryant and spend all that money because I, I think they got to be wise and save their money for these kids because this is their future. But they should be smart and do one and two year deals, you know, so that way when Bumgarner comes off the books, you don't have another big contract. Contract on the books, and then you could sign some of your own guys. So I think they got to be very smart and deliberate in how they do this. But I am expecting a significant increase in the salary structure for the Diamondbacks for next season. I know I was on vacation when they called up Corbin Carroll. So if you brought this up or if you knew this, I apologize for, but I read this for the first time today that the Diamondback, this was Ian Bob Nightingale's story about Corbin Carroll being named the minor league player of the year by USA Today. And he wrote, The Diamondbacks have so much faith and belief in Carroll that although they brought him up to the big leagues, they're still not playing him every day. And the reason is they want him to preserve his rookie status so he can be a rookie of the year candidate next year. He's got a bonus in his contract that pays him three quarters of a million dollars if he wins rookie of the year. They want to make sure that he's still rookie eligible next year so that they can so that he can win rookie of the year. They'll get an extra draft pick if he does, and he'll get the bonus in his contract if he wins rookie of the they year. They get an extra draft pick? Uh, uh, for some reason. I did not they, they, I did not know that. He wrote, you see, by assuring that Carroll is still rookie eligible in 2023 that can put him on their opening day roster, and if he wins the Rookie of the Year award, they will receive an extra draft pick in 2024. I didn't know that. Wow. I had no idea. And, wow. and Carol's quoted in the story, honestly, I really appreciate that. It's an honor for the front office of this organization to view me that way. They're saying, hey, this guy might have a chance to earn us a draft pick next year. That would mean a lot for me to get to earn that pick. And, of course, he'd like to win Rookie of the Year, too, which he would have, I think, a pretty good chance of doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, so it makes, it makes I, I sense. Didn't, I didn't know if you knew that, but I read no, that for I, the first time, and I thought, I wonder if they it, brought that up it, while I was it gone. It makes sense. The, the reason why you're not playing every day is because it's been a long season between um, you know between the AAA season and the major league season. He's never played a season this long, and they've got five guys that can play in the outfield that they want to play. So that's probably another factor as to why they're doing it the way they are. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, we still hope to catch up with the new ASU interim coach Sean Aguano. But when we come back, we will also talk about the Cardinals and Cooper Cup. A difficult task for any secondary. Byron Murphy says he is willing and ready and able for that. That's coming up on the Burns and Gambo Show. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo.
The new interim coach for Arizona State University makes his debut Saturday nights against Utah at Sun Devil Stadium. And joining us right now on the Arizona Sports Line, Sean Aguano here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Coach, I'm Dave. This is Gambo. Welcome to the show. Congratulations on your interim position at ASU. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, it's been a whirlwind a couple of days, but uh, I kind of settled in a little bit and ready to go. Coach, my wife speaks highly of you. You are her zero-hour government teacher at Chandler High uh, one year, and then she was also the team manager for the football team when she was a freshman and a sophomore, and she speaks very highly of you. Oh, I appreciate it. That makes me sound really old. We can't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's really young. It's our secret. It's our so, secret. Yeah. Um, let, let's, let's talk about how this all transpired. Uh, when did you find out that, that Herm was not going to be keeping the job, that they mutually parted ways, and that you would be the interim coach? How did that play out? You know, it was an a unfortunate uh, a time on Sunday when we had our scheduled uh team meeting um and uh probably 15 minutes before we walked in um you know herm addressed myself uh and as well as uh ray anderson and gene boyd and at that time asked me uh to accept the position and uh, on the spot i did uh with the herm's blessing how long did you give yourself to say holy crap i'm the head coach of asu football before you actually got to work as the head coach of asu football coach yeah, uh, it, that it was tough because I had to address the team in uh, the next thirty minutes, and so um, you know, I gave my coaches uh, and our players about twenty four hours, and I let them know that is a good time to grieve because. Herm is an absolutely great guy that has given me the opportunity. I knew the, the kids would feel it too, but um, at the same time, we have a game coming up on Saturday against a formidable opponent. And so I gave them 24 hours to grieve. Everybody went home, and then uh, we came back on Monday uh, as a coaching staff, and the kids came back on Tuesday, and we started to roll. How did the coaching staff take the news that, that Herm was out and that you were going to be the interim? There was other people. Donnie Henderson is there, and Brian Billick has some role with the team, although he's not here on a regular basis. But there were a lot of people that, that have known Herm for a long time, loyal to them. How did you go about winning them over? Uh, well, um, as as peers uh, of theirs, um, uh, they understand uh, my work ethic, and, and we've become really good friends. Um, the whole coaching staff um, that I love, like brothers, they were very, uh, very accepting um, of that uh, promotion. Um, they came under my wing, congratulated myself. Again, understanding all of them are really good friends of Herms, but we got one business uh, to take care of and to, uh, is to take care of our kids here at, at ASU, and that was our main goal. So when we came together as a staff, our main purpose is to make sure that these kids, that we inspire them, keep them together to play good football, because in reality, our season uh, is just starting. The, the Pac-12 season is just starting. We're 0-0 in our conference, and and uh, we got a long way to go. Coach, I, I want to ask you about rooting out some of the negativity and then the problems and the issues. There was a report in The Athletic that some Arizona State staffers helped bring down Herm by leaking info to opponents. It says an opposing coach recently told The Athletic that it wasn't hard to get intel on this season's team because some within ASU Athletics wanted a coaching change. Have you heard about it? Is this something that you've addressed with the team? I have not heard about it, and uh, in, in regards to any of the negativity out there uh, that affects 
our team. Um, I will I will never bring that into our team. Um, our our main deal right now is to make sure that uh, we give positive, have a positive impact on these kids, uh, and making sure that they're ready for Saturday. So I don't uh, pay attention to that. Uh, I make sure my kids don't pay attention to that. So that is never mentioned in any of our um, meetings at all. Sean Guano, the interim head football coach of ASU football joining us here on the Burns and Gambo show. Of course, every coach is going to put their own stamp on it, do things a little differently. What what are you going to do differently? What is the stamp that you want to put on this team in the first few days that you've had this job, coach? You know, uh, paying attention to detail. Uh, I put I put a lot of uh, a stamp on my expectations that are minimum standards of making sure we check in in the morning, taking, making sure that everybody's five minutes early to team meetings. All of those things that I think maybe have caused uh, um, some um, undiscipline on the field. So, so from a foundational standpoint, I wanted to make sure we take care of that. And then make sure that uh, our kids are having fun and, uh, and inspiring them and having positive practices. I thought our last three practices were inspiring. I thought our, our kids were running all over the place. Um, some of them were uh, actually um, so tired that they couldn't move, but uh, the workload wasn't different. I think the pace of practice is different. Um, I've been a teacher my whole life. I, I understand um, listening to kids are important. Um, Different teaching styles are important, and I want to make sure that I implement that in our in my coaching style. Do you think in some ways the players are rejuvenated, that they can just go out and play now without having an investigation and, and, and possibly a lame duck coach hanging over their head, that they're just free to go out and play? You know, that's one of my main goals is for our, our kids to just, they're talented enough to just go out and have fun and play like they're playing on a playground, making sure that they understand that if they make a mistake, I understand as long as we're making a mistake full speed, I can live with that. Making sure that we we don't quit, making sure that we run to the football, all of those little things that are are sometimes overlooked, I'm trying to make sure that uh, we go about doing that on a daily basis. You gave up three, the team gave up 304 rushing yards to East in Michigan in what was, you know, one of the more embarrassing losses for ASU in a long time. I imagine one of the first things you're trying to do is just, just to fix that issue, not give up that many rushing yards. Yeah, and a lot of that issue is uh, self-imposed, I think, you know, uh, from the attention to detail, you know, not doing the things that we're supposed to do right. Um, it, it's not based upon talent. And then the other part is the effort that you bring. Um, and so I, I'm asking our kids uh, to bring that effort in every play and, and, and do it until you can't go anymore and then I'll replace you and to get you some rest. But the effort part, uh, the attention to detail, um, doing what you're supposed to do, just doing your job is kind of the fundamental uh, aspects that I'm, I'm preaching this week. Sean Aguano, the interim head football coach at ASU, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show. One of the chief concerns of the fan base early on in the season was the ultra, ultra conservative nature of the offense and, and how it was so based on the ground game. Do you anticipate one of the stamps that you're going to put on this team is is loosening things up a little bit offensively and opening things up a little bit, Coach? You know, um, I, I have all confidence in my my offensive um, coordinator, Glenn Thomas, and my defensive coordinator, Donnie Henderson. Um I'm going to give you this without giving away too much. I'm not a conservative guy. 
Okay. Nice. And so um, uh, uh, you can read between the lines on that one. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm an aggressive guy, but uh, making making sure that it is calculated risks. Were Were you told by by Ray Anderson that you would have a opportunity, a chance to earn the full time head coaching job? You know it, that conversation was so quick when I accepted that. I know what needs to be done for me to um, be a candidate at the end of the season. And so it wasn't words that needed to be said. Uh, it was kind of the look that uh, uh, when I took that job and I'm going to make it happen look. And so I understand where um, uh, my situation is. And people say, well, it's a hard situation because you're facing three very formidable opponents that are ranked in the top 20. To me, that's a, a great um, challenge uh, to overtake. And, and when we when we win those games, um, that, that'll put us on top. And so I'm, I'm never scared of those challenges. I know all of us, C-Town is, is rooting for you, all the Chandler Wolves. I mean, four state championships, 88 wins when you were there. And I heard you want to recruit the whole state, but I know my wife and many of the other Chandler Wolves just want to make sure that you don't recruit anybody from Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's funny because uh, Mike, one of my the the principal that is at Hamilton coached with me for uh, many years at Chandler, and I gave him I gave him uh, a bunch of uh, uh, crap because you know you're putting on a maroon shirt and now and uh, and his son was still playing for me. But um, you're right, I will recruit. I will personally recruit um, Arizona kids. Um, I know the position coaches will will go after him, but I will personally recruit. Uh, tomorrow I will be at the the Chandler Saguaro game uh, for a half, and then I'll head over to Basher Mountain View. Um, I'm going to make sure that uh, the the state of Arizona is taken care of. Good stuff. Coach, we appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on with us for a few minutes. Best of luck against Utah. Best of luck the rest of the season. Hopefully we get to catch up real soon. Awesome, guys. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, Coach. Sean Aguano, the ASU interim Do not recruit Hamilton. (laughs) Come on. You're a Chandler Wolf. I don't know if he has much of a choice. When we come back, Vance Joseph shocked everyone by limiting the amount of snaps Isaiah Simmons had on Sunday. He says, shouldn't matter. You'll hear what he had to say next on the Burns and Gambo Show.